Welcome to Enhancing Human Experience. I'm Mark Phillips, and in this episode, it's all about helping you distill your genius and improve your performance. My guest today is David Ogle. David is the founder of Dose Coaching out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And in this episode, we talk about not only helping you improve your performance, but also helping you create and maintain that beginner's mindset, that sense of childlike wonder, which is, as we all know, so vitally important in business and in life, right? Freeing ourselves from the known or from this perfectionistic mindset and an idea that is really somewhat pervasive in our society. And we also talk about how you can get your morning cup of inspiration dose coaching every Friday morning. David sends out a short email and the the purpose of that email is to stimulate your mind, to help you to have a different perspective, sharing insights and and just information that is valuable to you when you start your day comes out every Friday morning. We talk about that near the end of the episode and also how you can sign up to receive that inspirational email. So I really enjoyed this interview. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I know that I did. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. All right, David, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. I'm super excited to dive into uh, your work and dose coaching. So thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Um, so let's let's talk about how you know you run D- dose coaching. You're a performance coach. How did you get to this point? Give us a little bit of a background uh, on your journey thus far. You know, it's something when I really think about it. Throughout my life, I, I whether I had the language for it or not, I had a, a minor, maybe a major fascination around leadership. Uh, every sports team that I was on, I was a captain and it wasn't that I was obsessed with being a leader, but, but I actually think it was more kind of the inverse that there was something about leadership and the impact of it that I, I just deeply valued and cared about. And because of that found myself in leadership positions. And and I didn't even realize this until probably, gosh, my mid twenties when I, I had this moment of right, the thing that I get frustrated with the, the quickest, whether it was in career or sports teams or clubs, was usually something around the, the effectiveness or ineffectiveness of, of leadership. And so when I look at where I am now with my business and doing leadership work and, and coaching work with business leaders and it, it's it just kind of makes sense that like I see the thread of there was this experience of caring about leadership, constantly pursuing, being curious about it, finding the language of leadership, leadership theory, um, and then finding myself in a place within an organization where I, I actually wanted to do marketing work and then uh, made the shift, realized it wasn't marketing work that I cared about. It was the impact that people could have on other people. Oh, it was leadership. and. Mm-hmm quickly diverted directions, which is good because I would be an absolutely awful marketer. <laughs> so you kind of realized that and kind of pivoted a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, at the time it felt like kind of a small realization, but it was, it was a huge turning point. And then I started making decisions around what are the roles or what are the things that I can do that will allow me to 
be in the leadership conversation more and more and, and at higher levels and at different levels. And I just have an insatiable appetite. So yeah, I guess to your question, like that journey led me to a place where I found coaching is the the means that I truly believe in. It's, I think it's so effective and helpful when working with leaders and leadership is, it's the purpose for me. Yeah. Well, and, and you, you know, that's what I, I feel, I find that, um, well, I'm assuming that's a very gratifying thing to help leaders, like you say, evolve and become better, uh, other leaders and other people in professional or sports. Um, do you get a lot of value? You probably get a lot of sense of value out of that. I get a, I get a ton of value out of it. And, out of it. Um, and it's funny you say it because it was something that was, uh, I had to almost reconcile of, most people that I've met that are also keen on the leadership conversation uh, love being a leader. Mm. And what I found for myself was that's that's secondary for me. Like, I don't mind being a leader. I've been a leader plenty of times and I'm not awful at it. But what I love is supporting leaders being better leaders. And, and that was unique for me to realize that like I'm happy being like that guide on the side rather than the person on the stage, uh, front and center. Yeah, well, the, you br- I think you bring up an interesting point. There, there does seem to be that conflict just in what I see in the field um, of coaching where – you know, the, the person either wants to be maybe up on the stage, like you said, being the leader, and then the their client becomes, takes the second seat, unfortunately. But I like that fact when you switch it around and support, you know, be underneath and support them. That's, that's a little bit different dynamic than you see kind of prevalent in the industry, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great point of in, in the coaching industry and, and even in the broader industry of leaders, um, there's a lot of value in recognizing that my greatest work is not represented by me. So Mm -hmm. as a coach, it's not about me. That's why I didn't name my business after myself. That's what I love about dose performance coaching is it's that dose of, of insight and curiosity and perspective that allows the leader to go and show their full performance. And at no point does that have anything to do with me uh, showing up in that other than like being there for, for that person. I like that. Yeah. So, that, so that's kind of the, um, etymology of your dose coaching business then is you, you're giving them that dose, dose of the, um, assistance and support. It sounds like. Yeah. Or as a friend did explain to me they're like, well, you could also say it stands for David Ogle, super excellent coaching. <laughs> I think it's super funny. And was Even though no you didn't point, plan it that way, right? It's like that. No. That's kind of <laughs> no, that's not something you got a good friend. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. I, I think of what great coaching is. Is it really is that that moment or that perspective that, that kind of feels like a dose experience um, that is consistent over time. Yeah, I like that. You know, one of the things that, and we talked about this prior in our conversation, and it, and it's right on your website, and I want to dive into it and have you unpack it a little bit for us about this notion of distilling your genius. Um, talk about that kind of that concept within your business, if you would. Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? <laughs> 
Sit down, people. Here we go. Yeah, uh, here we go. Here we roll. I because I, I think it's fantastic, you know. And, and let me give you the, the reason I asked that, David, is you know when we talked prior, we were talking about performance, and you said something that I thought was really important. And you said, you know, reflecting on your own journey and also the, that of your clients, you're like am I doing the right thing? Because in the world we live in, there are, everyone's telling us to do everything. There's, you know, social media and all these platforms. It's like be everywhere, do everything. And that becomes a, a detriment in the long term. And I, and I think you touched on something really important that I think would be valuable for listeners is, you know, distilling your genius, doing the right thing for you, you know, in relationship right. to performance as well. Right. Yeah. So when I go back to, you know, again, I think the etymology of distill your genius, it actually, it, it connects really nicely to what we were talking about earlier of as a, a great or a responsible coach, I recognize that it's, it's not my genius that is, you know, on display in, in a coaching conversation. Really, my role is to support someone in the process of distilling their genius. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the anecdotally, the experience I've had my entire career is I work with brilliant people. Like every, And this isn't saying like I only work with brilliant people. It's more every time I really slow down and listen to almost anyone I talk to, anyone I talk to, that sounds judgmental otherwise. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyone I talk to, like everyone has a, a level of untapped genius. It's just a matter of are they doing the things to cultivate and curate that genius and simplify it down in a way that's actionable or they can do something with it? And that, that's really where uh, distill your genius comes from is what I see coaching offering for people is that space to, to slow down and capture those genius ideas that otherwise might slip away or go unnoticed. My favorite question to ask people is, you know, when, when you think about where do you have your best ideas during the day, the three most common responses, and you know, everyone listening to this podca podcast, you probably thought of one of these three. It's when your head hits the pillow right before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. It's when you're showering or when you're working out or going for a walk or going for a run or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's because we live in this world that is so fast paced and full and, and it's wonderful, but we don't have the time to slow down and really capture our, our insights or even generate insights. So it's a byproduct of how the brain has to function. Like I have to step out of focusing in order to generate insight. But if I'm focusing eight, 12 hours a day, my brain's never going to generate insight until it gets a chance to not focus, which is going for a run right when I go to bed or when I'm in the shower. Mm. And the, yeah. the fundamental problem with that is those aren't very good times to have your most genius. <laughs> yeah, not really. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so that, that's really where distill your genius comes from is it's this process that intentionally uh, creates that, that insight experience and allows someone to, to have that at a time that's actually appropriate and helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, we were so busy trying to, you know, hammer things out. We don't take, we don't give us that space, give ourselves that space to let those ideas come in, do we? Uh, totally. It's, you know, I think one of my favorite things 
to tell clients probably to a point that it, it drives them annoying, it drives them, it makes them very annoyed. That's the mm-hmm. problem. It's, um, I'm glad that's recorded for eternity. Yeah. But the, <laughs> the thing that I, I find myself saying a lot is slow down. You know, it's yeah. yeah. The world is fast paced. There's all sorts of things going on, and the more that we can slow down, it's incredible to see what we notice. You know, the the metaphor I love is try and see how many things you can notice driving in a car at 80 miles an hour, then ride a bike as fast as you can, see how many more things you notice even then, and then go take a walk and see all the little things you notice that you never would have seen on either of those. Like, yeah, It's not to say we have to walk everywhere, but if we're never walking, we're going to miss something. You, you know, and I've heard, yeah, people talk about that in relationship to, you know, when they're driving the car, you, it's a totally different experience. than like you say, if they're walking down the street or riding a bike and they just notice these different things that I think you've touched on something really important is this notion of slowing down. Um, years ago, when I used to practice the Japanese martial art of Aikido, that was one of the things mm-hmm. that our, the sensei would always say, because there's this um, tendency to just rush through it and speed through it and you lose. And I'm sure you've had this experience in your sports career and in your life. You know, when you rush it and forget about the the movement and the fundamentals and the actual practice of it, you, you lose everything and you just go right to the end. And I think people lose that foundational uh, portion. Do you, do you find it's challenging to get people to actually really internalize that idea of slowing down or what's the difficulty level that that people are resistant to that i i love everything you just said it's uh (laughs) so a a couple things that came up for me i i've started doing brazilian jiu-jitsu about oh awesome ago i'm so bad at it like it's well well, that's what i hear everyone is bad at it at the beginning i hear it's I, i understand it's very humbling is that what you would what you would say Yes. And it, you know, <laughs> it, it was as you were sharing that, I'm like, right. Like that's been even my personal journey with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've played sports my whole life. I'm athletic. I'm relatively yeah. strong. And, you know, my, my first class and even still the number one thing that people remind me <laughs> or tell me to do is like, don't forget to breathe. Like, I've heard that. Slow down, breathe. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it was the first time someone told me that. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I tell clients this. Why are you telling me to slow down? Oh, mm-hmm. right. Like, I'm a beginner again. So it's, That's it's awesome. That is, it, it, experience. I, I love that. Yeah, that, that's definitely on my list as well um, to, to study that. I, I just... I've heard so many people talk about the positive benefits, you know, multi-spectrum positive benefits from jujitsu. That's awesome. So, so you're kind of the beginner in the class here, uh, starting mm-hmm. this new endeavor. That's awesome. But the, the reason I mentioned it and why it connects to what you were saying is like where people struggle with internalizing it is there really is, there's a balance. And it's oftentimes why I tell someone, go try something new physically it, when you're feeling stuck or like you're struggling internalizing that that notion of slowing down because there's nothing like being humbled physically to wake you up to an insight that's actually relevant to the rest of your life it's like in Mm -hmm. being a beginner in jujitsu it's also forced me to like slow down and look at the rest of my life and, and really think where else do I actually need to adopt more of a beginner mindset that I'm mm. not currently? 
Yeah. I think, I think yeah, a garbage it, just ran over a garbage. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's so true. I think what sometimes, you know, when we get on autopilot, you know, back to what you were mentioning earlier, when you start not noticing things that are happening in any area of your life and become on autopilot in what business or sports or jujitsu or whatever you're practicing, that's when I think there's a tendency for, uh, I don't want to say danger, that might be too strong a word, but, um, you know, we, 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 there's no growth and there's no more like wonder and amazement. And we start to kind of lose that edge, don't we? You nailed it with the word wonder. One of my favorite uh, philosophers is uh, Jacques Derrida. Mm-hmm. Which probably butchered his name. Um, I, my my partner is French Canadian and mm-hmm. can't she, stand my French. Yeah, so 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 they'd be down on you for butchering that name. <laughs> yeah. So sorry to anyone who speaks better French than me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, one of his things that that he would talk about is this notion of childlike wonder and and how do we view the world through childlike wonder and you know his was more on the metaphysical sense of like that that could be the meaning of life and and I won't bore you with all that but the the concept of childlike wonder has always fascinated me and, and felt like such an important premise in leadership of the moment I see myself as the quintessential subject matter expert like the person who has all the decision making rights and I'm not viewing things with childlike wonder, I've lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, it, re- it really, really is. So keep keeping that wonder, it's it's so important because otherwise life just gets to be do- in the doldrums, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I think that's the risk is it's really, you know, it's funny that this is, I think my, my background is coming out of, you know, the undergrad in philosophy and, and the mm-hmm. master's in applied neuroscience, like this weird uh, amalgamation of it philosophical is. and, <laughs> oh, right, and this is just how our brain works. Of The problem is it's deeply tempting for me to always have the answers or to be that subject matter expert because it's highly rewarding initially. Like I experience reward when I tell someone the answer is whatever. And it's true. And then people are like, oh, you're so smart. Mm-hmm. And I feel good. And I get praised and I become successful and I get promotions. The problem is it creates almost an insurmountable pressure on me to continue to always have the answer. Mm. And over time, the stress of that begins to outweigh the benefits of having the answer. Yeah. And then I end up in a position of leadership where I'm actually not being paid to have the answer. But mm-hmm. I feel the reason I've gotten to that leadership position is because I've always had the answer. So it's this catch-22 of I can't necessarily become a leader without having some answers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. Right. But to become a leader, my job is to co- cultivate the capacity for everyone around me to have the answers. Yeah. And that's well, and, and, you, and I think you touched on something really important because we are kind of a culture and a society of, you know, the answers, right? We're, we're in school, we're, we're groomed for that. And then we get into business and it's like, what's the answer? What's the answer? And, and it does put a lot of pressure on us. When you were talking about that, something came to my mind. I've, I recently heard that the Dalai Lama is famous for saying quite a lot, I don't know. Right. And this is a guy who's, you know, tuned in and tapped into, you know, deep spirituality. And he says a lot of, I don't know. 
and I think that lets us off the hook, at least makes me feel better when I don't know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, if, if the Dalai Lama doesn't know, a, a guy who's yeah. meditating up teen hours a day, who is the embodiment of compassion in the world, if he's okay with walking around saying, I don't know, it gives us a big get out of free <laughs> card. That it I does. Compassion daily. <laughs> It, it really does. Yeah. And, and, it, and we can be, because it goes back to that wonder again, because so, sometimes I think knowing can put us in a box and what, especially when you think, you know, and you don't know, and then that's very dangerous because you try to do something, you transfer the knowledge into action and you don't get the result. But when you take that, that wonder and curiosity and become like that child, like you mentioned, that's when things start to really unfold because who really does know, right? I mean, ultimately the game board's always changing. Spot on. It's, you know, what, what you just said there, like, yes, it's so important of, Again, our brain is obsessed with predicting what's next. Like it is right now. Our both of our brains are focusing on the predictable future of the next few moments, and it it knows air quotes knows what is going to happen next. Which is why when something totally from left field or or unexpected occurs, it throws us off and. You know, to tie in performance, I think this is you know one of the fundamental principles of performance, whether it's on a team in sports or a team in an organization or, or just on a personal level, is being able to navigate confidence, but not getting it to a place of I know exactly what is going to happen and mm. needs to happen. You know, and I think like sports ends up being a great metaphor for that. Of the team that wins the championship is not the one that has the best game plan. It's the one that has the most adaptable game plan to mm. meet the needs as the game evolves because the second half is never the same as the first half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Let, let, it, let it evolve in a natural way because th then things happen that you can never predict, right? You'll never know. And, and you touched on something really interesting. One of the things that, because you, you do, you know, you're, you're recording the podcast, you want it to be an, an epic experience for you, my interviewee and the listeners, and I want it to be this great thing. And, and one of the things that I started doing many episodes ago is just setting this conscious intention that it will be that and that it is going to be that, and then letting it unfold in the natural way. And it's, 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 it's mind-blowing when it arrives at that end. It's really fascinating. Yeah, there, there's a juxtaposition of like the two P words. There's performance, and then there's perfection. And when I uh, when I start to ambiguate the two, I go to a really dark place because oh, really, I'm, if I'm pursuing performance, that's great. But as soon as I allow performance to start to become like the end state become perfection, so a podcast, another P word, right? But uh, yeah. If I'm looking at this podcast of it's got to be perfect, I want everyone who's listening to this to think um, amazing things. Like, I've lost. Yeah. Rather than, to your point, like, how do we enjoy the process of performing, of, of talking about things we care about and we're passionate about, and allow that to unfold in a way that it will add value to someone? And mm -hmm. you know, there's someone who right now they just turned it off because they're not interested. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The person who just turned the volume up a little bit, like high five to you. Like I love that you're listening to this. Exactly. So performance and perfection. 
do, do you feel that it's, uh, it sounds like you feel it's important to like detach the two and, and focus on the performance, improving your performance or having your, helping your clients improve their performance and kind of taking the focus off perfection. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I think perfection can, can be tied into a lot of different concepts, but that relationship of, as I, you know, again, I look at myself in, in jujitsu, like initially zero expectations for myself. I knew I was bad. I didn't even know <laughs> yeah. what it was when I walked in. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> the first five minutes were quite a shock. But as I take on a task and develop mastery, and I think this really applies well to people's careers, as I get better at things, I start to expect more of myself. I start to understand what high performance looks like that excites me, that engages me until I hit a critical point where I expect myself to know everything or be able to handle anything. And then it's a slippery slope towards perfection. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's that critical juncture that as people, that's where we need leaders to guide us and, and cultivate our thinking around Oh yeah, 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 it's good. Like you can keep performing, and you still have room to grow. Like perfection is so far off, and mm -hmm. also unattainable. Yeah. Well, and and, and it, the, there might be a distinction between perfection and effectiveness. You know, because mm -hmm. I, I've always viewed, especially recently, perfection as an as an illusion. Some some place that is just you will never arrive at it. You know, what, what even is perfection, right? I mean, with with the game board always changing with human beings always in this dynamic state of, you know, growth and awareness and expansion. And then the, the world game board always changing. I don't even know if perfection is perfection, right? right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a unicorn. It's absolutely it a unicorn. And I think, you know, for, for me, one of the best realizations is to actually realize that because I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. And once you realize it is an illusion, you can kind of push it aside and get to the real work of improving your performance and being better and showing up better. And that's where that, that mastery starts to come into play. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I think the, the perfection and, and performance uh, spectrums actually eat away at each other. Of If I'm mm. leaning too far towards one, it actually detracts from my ability to do the other. So high performance inherently means I have a, a general understanding of perfection is not my goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and it seems like so much in life, once we can get past that, and it seems like all of the successful people have realized this, that the, the way they got where they're at is they just sucked. Like you said, you walk in, you know, you're going to suck. You know, the experience is going to be humbling. You, you go on the mat and do your thing. And it's like, they, they, they kind of suck their way to success, right? They fail and fail. And this, you know, it, it, it just seems like that's, that's the process. And no one wants to do that because no one wants to feel like, oh, I just produced this thing that sucked or I just wrote this paper that sucked. But that's the only way to get there in my experience is like to, to just suck every day until you finally don't suck a little bit less, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It goes back to childlike wonder and being a beginner for me of I have to be a beginner and I actually have to always have that beginner mindset, that childlike wonder throughout everything I'm doing, because the moment that I lose it, I become disillusioned with my grandeur 
And, and, you know, I think that starts again to lean towards perfection versus there's something really valuable about the, the mindset of someone who sucks or is a beginner or just doesn't know what they're doing yet. And it's like, how do you keep that even as you develop your capacity to perform at a higher level? And it's, yeah, that's that, a, that's a really good point. That's such a beautiful tension. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, some of the leaders that I work with that by no means have mastered it, but uh, display it in, in bits and bytes in ways that really impact their organizations. And it's incredible to watch that, that tension of beginner mindset, constant curiosity, but also just incredible levels of mastery and performance in their field. I can imagine. I, I, I can imagine that's just thrilling to see that those like two things, two ideas come together in a leader. You touched on this uh, briefly earlier in the podcast about some of the questions that you ask, like you, when you when you ask them to start distilling their genius and talked about when genius comes in. Do you have, a, say, like a set approach that helps you kind of dive into the leader that you're working with, the client that you're working with, to help them start to make a space for their genius and distill it? Or do you find it's kind of dynamic for every client? Do you have a set process you like to work through? Both. <laughs> okay. You know, it's, it's, I think it, it stems from our conversation of the game board's always changing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love about coaching is it's such a dynamic conversation that evolves over time. And because a client's game board for themselves is changing, whether it's in work or their life, the process of coaching and working with them also has to be dynamic and, and agile. Mm, um, yeah. That said, I, I think like if I were to say like the methodology that I find is really helpful of there's four buckets that I think are really important for people to walk through. And okay. it's not, it's not linear, but it, it, it is somewhat sequential in that they, they do evolve off of, you know, each other, but you can go back to them. So the first one is awareness and, you know, I, I love the concept of awareness simply because as soon as I set my intention or my mind to, I need to increase my awareness around something, I will. I may not like what I become aware of, but I will increase my awareness. And like that's one of the fundamental, brilliant things about our brain is it's capable of just being increasingly aware of things as we bring our energy and our focus towards it. So it's mm-hmm. developing awareness. And then what that leads to is thoughtfulness. So the second bucket is, is thoughtfulness. It's, it's spending a little bit more time. It's that slowing down concept. It's taking the time to start to see all the things that are in my field of awareness. And, and this is, you know, I would say the beginning of the distillation process of consolidating it and, and condensing it into, oh, I see these 20 things. And and here's the threat. So it's, it's being thoughtful. And, and what you're even starting to see is that notion of the thread is, is the third bucket, which is insight. I think insight is one of the most undervalued uh, skills of our mind in that we love it. We love experiencing it because it's physically rewarding. We, we actually experience reward when mm-hmm. we have insight. Yet rarely do we harness the insights that we have and take action on them. So from that thoughtfulness, when that insight emerges, uh, that's really capturing it, getting clear on what what actually is the insight, what does that mean? And then the fourth bucket is action. Like, what am I going to do? 
and, and you know that's going to distill your genius. It's about helping people develop awareness, bring more thoughtfulness to whatever it is they're examining, generating insight, and from that taking simple, doable actions that actually have a, a habitual, long-lasting impact. Wow. Yeah, that, I, that, that process is really awesome. Do you find that different clients are, I guess, more prone to say, be aware, but maybe have a, a lesser proclivity to some of the others? And maybe some people are super action oriented and others are low awareness. What's your experience with working with different clients and, and how, they, how this kind of plays out? I think the, the easy answer is yes, people are so diverse. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of the hard parts of my job is I, I work across all sorts of industries from finance to hotels to retail. It's, it's really interesting seeing the diversity of thought and, and the impact of one's environment. You know, I think of uh, someone who's in finance whether they like it or not has some environmental <laughs> things that have influenced the way they look and see the world, look at and see the world, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think that's really interesting. So that, that brings even more diversity just uh, across people. And yet there, again, from my, my perspective, there's some really interesting threads that, that are common for a lot of people. And it's the unique articulation for each person may be different, but there's just there's areas that we all have opportunity to consider a little bit more or think about a little bit more deeply. You know, I think like a, a classic one, whether you're the CEO of an organization or you're a coordinator who just started yesterday, like comparison comes up in some capacity. And, mm-hmm. and so addressing that and, and having a look at, well, what's that mean for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that model is super awesome because it kind of, it lo- seems like it's like a full spectrum of, like you said, starting with the awareness and then to translating that all the way into action. And then I'm sure uh, that's an effective model to help people kind of, you know, navigate their leadership and their, their business or life. Yeah. It's I, what I like about it too, is if I'm super career oriented, that means I've put more energy towards my career. And that's a great thing, but I can't focus on everything all the time. So what that model also helps with is it just, it forces me to stop again and slow down and look at what's the areas that maybe I haven't looked at, you know, and sometimes the biggest thing I can do to support my career is take care of something personally. Like if I'm not working out, I'm not taking care of my body. That's going to have diminished returns long-term on my mental capacity and my mental health. So if I want to have, you know, a long-term career that's sustainable, then the awareness may actually need to come in terms of physical health. And that's important because, you know, one of my favorite images that, that was shown to me by a, a professor some years ago was he put up an image of uh, the entire neural network. So for the brain and all the nervous system, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it looks like a human body. He's like, so which is the body and which is the mind? And you know, mm. looking at it, you, what you instantly realize is we talk about mind-body connection. And the premise was there's no difference. Like you have one thing. The body is a byproduct of the mind and the mind is a byproduct of the body. Like, they're one thing. So trying to separate them is actually going the wrong direction from the start. 
Yeah, well, and and that kind of it kind of fritzes with the human brain because we want to compartment compartmentalize, don't we? We want to like this is the mind, this is the body, but that's an awesome and an awesome visual to have there because there you're right. Looking at that, you don't see any distinction. Of course, you know, and <laughs> where, where is the mind getting all its stimulus from? The nerves in the mm-hmm. body. <laughs> it's all like this integrated system, right? You can't like dissect it. It's all one package. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I find that a, a helpful way to think about it. Yeah. That's, that's super awesome. So let's talk about how people can learn more about your work, even though I will also share your website and your platforms in the show notes beneath this episode at gmarkphillips.com. Uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you. The easiest way to get in touch with me is, uh, my website, so dosecoaching.com, um, or emailing me, david at dosecoaching.com. Um, that's really everything I've built has been designed to push people towards that. I'm, I'm always happy to you know, chat with people. I'm quite good at getting back to emails within you know, a day, mm-hmm. two days. Super busy, so I, I'm hesitant to say that. Some then a thousand people email me. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's yeah. I, I think it's one of the things I'm passionate in the world of coaching is making coaching more accessible to more people. Um, and and with that, it comes a, a very strong uh, responsibility or perspective of you know when people do reach out, like how do I? Yeah, how do I make myself accessible just to answer questions? And I think that's why email, it really is, it's the easiest way to get a hold of me. And it's something I'm deeply committed to responding. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and to that point, can you can you walk us through what the initial process is for, you know, say that initial contact with a client and and maybe a little bit of an intake until uh, and working with them, can you walk them th- walk us through what they can expect if, when they reach out to you and want to yeah. go further and learn about your process? Yes, I'm I'm laughing because I'm actually going through that pro or I have been going through that process um, with some lawyers, uh-huh. and I I am so annoyed. So any lawyers listening to the podcast, <laughs> no offense, but uh, your industry needs to change. Like why, why do I have to pay? why do I have to pay you to determine whether I even want to work with you? Like, do I, do I buy a car before I yeah, drive? The lawyer industry is different than they, they sometimes how get a pass, don't they? They don't have to be very, <laughs> very uh, helpful. They just, you just got to pay every time. Right. <laughs> I feel like I'm walking into a restaurant and paying money to see the menu. Yeah. Which maybe, maybe I'm not going to fancy enough. Right. <laughs> I totally agree. I've, when I've had to work with lawyers in the past, it is, you just feel like such a, you're talking about, you know, we were talking about earlier in the podcast where you're, you know, you're supporting your clients. It's like totally switched around when you're working with a lawyer, you feel like, like you're just honored to be in their presence, right? <laughs> yes. So the reason, of course, that came to mind is then I look at my model and like this, I, I, I of course, like more because it's mine, but I, a client reaches out or a potential client reaches out. What I will offer to anyone is an hour of my time to talk through an intake process and, and what the intake entails. Um, the relationship with the coach, it really matters. And, and I don't ever want to diminish that. So in that hour, we spend a good chunk of time learning about you know the, the potential client uh, as well as sharing about myself. I want someone to know more about 
me, my approach, what it's like to work with me. And then the third piece really is looking at what are the outcomes? And I think that's, it's critical in that initial conversation to get clear. What is it that someone is seeking coaching out for? What's the impact? What would success look like? Because it allows both of us to make an informed decision of, right, this is a, this is a good relationship. We should move forward. Or you know what? Coaching might be what you're looking for and my approach isn't. Here are some other coaches. I love referring people to other great coaches because in the end, I want someone to find the person that's going to support them best rather than uh, me. Right. Rather than just plug and play, right? If it's not a right, the right fit. Yeah, because and plug and play is a great point. Like I, I do coaching because I don't believe in out-of-the-box solutions. Um, There aren't box-shaped people, and I also don't think there are box-shaped solutions for non-box-shaped people. So it's it's so important to have that initial conversation to really clarify what is it and how is it that we can work together um, and what's the best way forward to to support someone. Right, right. It sounds like that's a very complete process, you know, when you're finding out all of their end goals and the outcomes they want in that initial intake. And it seems like it gives you a full picture, like you said, both from both sides for the, for them working with you and you working with them. Yeah. Because what I also acknowledge is coaching is not inexpensive. I, w- I want someone to make an informed decision. I wouldn't want them to go through two sessions with me and be like, Whoa, I'm paying how much for mm-hmm. this? this is what I want. <clears throat> yeah. Let's- out of the way from the start like we we need both people need to choose each other to be in the relationship that's a good point that's a good point well thanks for sharing that intake and i'll also before we wrap up i want to remind people you also do morning cup tell us about morning cup right that's actually a great way for people (laughs) thank you for being my champion Uh, absolutely yeah that's what i'm here for morning cup is the like long story as short as i can tell it is it was a uh, what, how did it, it it was it was this side project that it started before dose even uh, oh, it was really? started like back in in my like career corporate days uh, as a it, it started as this acknowledgement that we needed as an organization to be having conversations uh, about who we were what our culture was and and the impact of leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was inspired a lot by Seth Godin. I, I love that man's blog. I think he I his, ability, his ability to turn out content daily that is consistently quite good and, and mm-hmm. very often great mm-hmm. blows my mind. And so what it, it started is just a kind of an experiment. And I got in all sorts of trouble for being, uh, my favorite term was writing a nefarious email that no one knew who it was from. <laughs> oh, really? Like, Somewhat anonymous then in the, the beginning? Yeah. yeah. So the, the anonymity uh, was entirely because I wanted people to focus on the message, not the messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it quickly would be like, oh, well, this is this person's perspective rather than, hey, what's this message? Like, what's that mean for me? And, and that was something which was actually quite effective. Uh, no. Although the, the other thing I loved was IT put a quote unquote kill order on the web address that it came from. Oh, you're oh, so you were sending it from from a separate web address outside of your company then? No, I, I had a friend in IT who generated a fake web address for me. Okay, okay. N- nefarious. Well, I'll tell you something. That's a great 
uh, that that story of like the starting of the of this morning cup is a great story. Now, c- can we share what company that that was and what your background is, or do you prefer to keep that anonymous? No, I, I worked at Lululemon for eight years, so okay. it was there. I don't think anyone's going to hunt me down for sure. sure. Well, and I think I think that's a you know for for listeners, that's a their that company, their success story. I'm sure you learned so much working for them. Um, you know, just a great culture and a great company. So back to Morning Cup. So you um, you started this while you were there, then? Yeah, yeah. So I started there to, uh, like I said, really generate conversations around like leadership and and culture. I use culture loosely because I think it, it becomes a word that gets overused a bit. And yeah, it can. But that type of conversation, right? And as I as I started Dose, what I realized is the process of writing Morning Cup is one of the most fulfilling, gratifying, uh, helpful development processes in my life. Like, whether I write it weekly or sometimes I'll, I'll write a couple ahead of time if I have a lot of travel or something. But that process of sitting down and distilling my genius is is so important. It's, if I believe in, you know, distill your genius as a process and, and an idea, where am I doing that for myself? Because I, I certainly am not exempt. And every time I sit down to write it is just this wonderful reminder of I have so much insight. I'm exposed to so much insight. And I have the opportunity and, and a platform to share that with people. Um, and what I care about is people are living full, busy lives, and I don't need to write a 20-minute blog post for people to read. Mm-hmm. Rather, uh, my, my commitment is it's, it's a point of view or just a, something to get people's brains thinking um, my intention is never for it to be preachy, like you need to do this, but it's more, here's a thought that someone can read in three minutes or less. And and the reason I send it out Friday mornings is my experience, and it's been corroborated by many, many people is Friday morning is the, the moment when we wake up, like I need coffee and I just need something to spark my brain and get it going because our cognitive capacity is a little bit lower and we're tired. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of times I've heard back from someone on a Friday morning of this message was good, but it was more that I got this today at this time that got, it just kickstarted my brain. Like that's the greatest compliment I can get. I could care less if people agree or or disagree. If it makes someone start thinking a little bit more then Morning Cup has, has accomplished its purpose. Well, yeah, and I've, I've read, I've had a couple of doses of Morning Cup myself from your website, and they, they are, they, they just kind of stimulating and kind of just kind of help you see, help you just see differently or get a different like perspective. Um, so how can people sign up for the Morning Cup? Does it go right into their email then? Yeah, yeah. So if you go to my website, uh, you know, there's just a few tabs. It's like about neuroscience and leadership. And then the third tab over is Morning Cup. And right at the top of that, there's an email intake box. You throw your email in there and it will be sent directly to you. Every Friday. Hot and fresh. Every Friday, 43 a.m. <laughs> Pacific time. Very nice. Very nice. Well, David, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and listening, you know, hearing about your coaching business. It's been very, uh, very interesting chat- chatting with you today. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's a, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I love coming and talking about myself, but I do. I love, 
I love being able to be in this conversation uh, because it, it's important. It's important that the business world is talking about this type of stuff as well as, you know, P&Ls and bottom lines and, and all of that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it is important. That's one of the reasons, you know, that I, I love doing these interviews. Um, all right, well, we'll wrap it up again. Thanks so much, David. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, what'd you think? Did you uh, come away with a renewed sense to start cultivating more of your childlike wonder? I know that I did. You know, it's really so important, and I'm glad David brought this up and and touched upon this, the, the importance of maintaining that beginner's mindset and that childlike wonder. Really, really important, because I think we do get so fixed in, you know, our adulting and, and what we think we know, which can also sometimes be very detrimental as we go out into the world and start taking action uh, to produce the results that we want, it's really, really important to remind ourselves that that childlike wonder is the key that's going to open up all the success that we want, right, in business or in life. So I want to thank David for bringing that up and hanging out with me on this episode of the podcast before we wrap it up, let me just remind you, if you got some value out of this episode, please share it with someone who you think might also like it. Also, feel free to comment when this episode goes up on YouTube. That's the best place to leave a comment, engage with other listeners. My YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Phillips. This episode will be up very shortly. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to the channel and make a playlist and do all the things that YouTube is awesome for so you can save this and refer back to it if you'd like to. And I want to thank you for listening. I really want to um, you know, extend my appreciation to you for hanging out with this uh, on this episode of the podcast. I know there are so many podcasts to listen to out there, and the fact you're listening to this one really means a lot. I hope you got some value out of this episode. And at that point, we'll wrap it up. Until next time, I wish you all the best, health, wealth, and success. Bye-bye.